Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I connected with a rock star literally this week. John Cooper is the lead vocalist, bassist, songwriter, and producer for Skillet. Skillet is one of the best-selling rock bands of the 21st century. The two-time Grammy Award-nominated 12 Times Platinum Band was recently invited into Pandora's Billionaire Club after garnering 2 billion streams. They've sold over 12 million albums worldwide. They've taken home a Billboard Music Award, and their breakout single, Monster, remains one of the most streamed rock songs of all time with nearly 300 million global audio streams. John is a devoted Christ follower who has just released his latest book entitled Awake and Alive to Truth, Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. Now, on this week's episode, John and I talk about the challenges of living for Jesus in a relativistic culture and why our younger generations need to be encouraged to embrace God's truth. John shares about the important role pastors play in the lives of those they've been entrusted to lead and how the church has helped him continue to grow as a disciple, even as he works in an environment that is often hostile to the gospel. So let's dive right in. Please join me in my conversation with John Cooper. John, thank you for joining us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome. It's cool to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, brother. Now, in your recently released book, Awake and Alive to Truth, you share a story about being offered the opportunity a number of years ago to really, you know, build your brand, to to skyrocket your band Skillet to even greater success and fame, but you turned it down. Can you tell us about that experience and also how you've managed to keep your faith, to keep your convictions in the world of professional music? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, well, I'm really glad to be here and I'm excited. And, uh, you know, I just want to say maybe from the top that um, I hope that this um, uh, interview encourages people in, in the work of the ministry that you're involved in. And it's an honor for me. I love pastors. I love people that work and serve the church, whether it's vocationally or, or um, you know, maybe you don't get, you don't get paid for it. You give your time to do it when you can and you care for people. It's really hard work. Uh, and I've seen that firsthand. My father-in-law is a, uh, a pastor and has been for decades. And it, I just think it's wonderful to serve Jesus. And I, I respect that so much. And I hope that I'm an encouragement probably don't have anything I could teach anybody, but I'm able to encourage people on their faith and I hope to do so. So with my story, um, I guess, yeah, I, I shared the story in, in the beginning of the book. I, in the book, I called it uh, pre-show. It's like a prologue, but I called it pre-show <laughs> because, you know, uh, it's like the pre-show warm-up uh, when you're playing a concert, you know, and uh, there's always the music on. Like if you go to a concert, they always have like the the song that comes on right before the band plays. And in the business, they call it pre-rolls, what they call it. Here's your pre-roll. What it means is whatever song you choose that you want to like get ready to be the warm-up for your band. So the pre-show to the book is, hey, uh, you know, maybe people don't know who I am. Maybe they don't know my story. My story is this. I love playing music. And without a doubt that we have had opportunities to become a bigger band or to get more radio or to please the world if we would stop talking about Jesus or just – 
or just don't tell people you were involved in Christian music or that, you know, what, that, that when you explain what a song is about and I explain that that song is about my faith in Christ or that, you know, we have a song called hero and they say, well, who's your hero? And I say, well, my, my biggest hero is Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and savior. And they're like, they, they go, can you tell us any other hero besides Jesus Christ, please? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that hurts your brand. That's not very rock and roll, man. <laughs> and, um, you know, we have had those opportunities. And I wrote in the, in the verse, excuse me, I wrote in my, my pre-show chapter about that Bible verse. Jesus says it himself. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. But if you don't confess me before, man, uh-oh, you know, I, we cannot stop talking about Jesus. He it has the words of life, and I have to share those words of life. And so that has been my, you know, my job. I'm a rock, quote, rock star, if you will. That's my job. But I love telling people about the hope I found in Jesus. And there's nothing else really worth talking about, even if it's love. My marriage, I mean, I talk about love, I talk about my marriage, I talk about my kids, but I can't talk about those things divorced from Jesus Christ because he is the foundation of all everything I have, right? He's the, he's the reason we are here, mm. all for his glory, hallelujah. So that, that's kind of my, my hopefully short version. Yeah, no, that's, that's good, brother. Now, let me ask you this, living the life of a rock star, and, and for those who are unfamiliar with, with Skillet, we'll, we'll be sure to link to your band and some of your music in the show notes here so you guys can check it out if you're unfamiliar. But, but Skillet, you, you guys are a very successful band. Um, like you, you, you have had uh, Grammy nominations, um, you've won you know, Billboard Awards, you've you know, you know, Platinum on Spotify, um, you know, so, I mean, if, if you just go to YouTube and look at any of your songs, any of your videos, I mean, literally millions of, of views. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty impressive. And you live in that world, kind of that rock star world have been very, very successful. How have you managed to stay close to Christ in the midst of a world that many would view is, you know, challenging, you know, at the least to, to maintain a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Sex, sex, drugs, rock and roll exactly. is not compatible with Christianity <laughs> and carrying your cross. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, for the first part of the question, we have honestly been remarkably blessed, something that none of us ever dreamt of, never imagined in a million years would happen. Um, I think over 300 million views on our monster video. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know how God did that. <laughs> I think that that's the answer. God did that. I don't quite get it. Um, it is remarkable, um, especially because, you know, I also wrote, as you said, in the pre-show chapter of the book, that this guy gave me this advice. He said, John, I really believe, John. You could be the next biggest band in the world if you stop talking about Jesus. Well, I wrote in that chapter, I think he was just giving me, to tell you the truth, good advice. It actually was good advice. If you stop talking about Jesus, you'll have a better chance to make it. And I always say that to people and say, hey, what we did does not normally equal that kind of success. I don't know why God chose to do that. That's just in his hands. But for some strange reason, it feels like, unless I'm crazy and I'm a little crazy, but it feels to me like, the more out loud I am about Jesus, the more 
the rock and roll music fans respect it. It's very, very strange. I meet people all the time. They're like, dude, I don't know about this Jesus stuff, but you know, you've got some guts. Uh, they they kind of <laughs> like it, you know, because rock and roll is very masculine and it's very like, it was kind of born out of rebellion in a certain way, as most people know. So it doesn't make sense. How have we kept faithful to the Lord? I'm, well, I'm so thankful to God. There's a lot of practical things I usually tell young musicians. I hope this can encourage whoever's listening because we, I think that there has been a, let me think of how I want to say this. I wasn't prepared for the question, but I think this is a good way to say it. Sometimes it, rock and roll people, even Christian musicians, sometimes Christian musicians do not want to be under church leadership. Is that fair to say? Hmm. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Right. Christian musicians are kind of like, <clears throat> whether I'm a worship leader or a rock star or an artist, they kind of don't like the idea of being under church leadership. And sometimes church leadership is kind of like, I don't really know if I want to mess around with those kind of worship people or those kind of <laughs> musicians. They're just a hassle. Let's be honest. And I am a very big, big proponent. I tell people all the time, I don't care what you do. If you're a believer, you are to be in church under leadership, not just that you go to church. You're supposed to be under the authority of, of the ministers that God has, has put in your life. That is the way that the, the body of Christ works. That's the way the, um, the church government works. And it's not because God wants to make your life bad. God wants to make your life good, all right? If you're a believer, you will be blessed by being in the body of Christ, submitted to, to church authority, and your life is going to be better because of it. One of those many benefits is that I have people in my life that speak into my life and that I can ask questions and I can say, hey, I wrote this song. I think that this lyric is theologically accurate, but could it sound, you know, like X, Y, or Z? And then you have a pastor to say, yeah, that sounds like X, Y, or Z. Don't <laughs> say that. Um, or, or what have you. You know, I remember when I was struggling in my marriage years ago, like everybody, let's just be honest. Right. Marriage is hard work. I've been married 23 years and I'm so thankful to God. I've got a great marriage, but like everybody, there were these hard times when I'm like, when I'm like, Lord, I do not understand this woman that you gave me. <laughs> what is she talking about? And, and there are times when my wife was like, you know, Lord, this guy is hard to be with. And I have a you know, an, an elder that I can call and say, I got to be honest, I need some help. I don't know how to act with my wife. I don't know how to understand or teach me to be a better husband and so on and so forth. I can give you a million stories like that of how God has so kept me safe because I fit within God's design for the people of God. So I always encourage Christian musicians, you're going to go on the road, you're going to start writing your own stuff, but you need to be under leadership and your life is going to be blessed because of it. I will tell you, that's probably the number one best thing that we've done. We are not, we are not uh, an island. I view Skillet as a ministry, almost like a mission sent out from my church under the guidance and leadership of my elders. Mm. That's good. That's that's really good. Now, let's let's kind of stay on the topic of pastors and ministry leaders. John, recently you've voiced um, your concern or the fact that some pastors seem to be more concerned with you know kind of building their brand than they are with teaching the truth of God's word. Now, you as a rock star, 
you you understand this world of building a brand. I mean, that's that's part of what you yes. know your job has been, right? So <laughs> yeah. Um, so you are very familiar with the brand building business. What specifically about brand building and pastors? You know, those two worlds together that concerns you. Yeah, you know, I, I am I am aware of the irony. In case anybody listening <laughs> thinks that I'm not, I am aware of the irony, and I do look at myself in this and go, "Man, John, is it hypocritical that you're saying uh, pastors don't need need to be rock stars? Stop being so concerned with the you know the way you dress or the way you look or how your brand is going." I do understand the irony, and I do look at myself. I think there's a little bit of a difference. And I'm sure that everybody listening here would, would understand that difference. But frankly, some people don't. And, and, and they've hit me on my social media like you're arrogant or you're hypocritical. So you get to look cool and all you want to do <laughs> is point the finger at other people. And I've just said, hey, look, I am not an Ephesians 4 office holder. I, I am not a I'm not a minister. I'm not. I mean, I, I, I am evangelistic. But I am not an, evan- uh, an Ephesians 4 evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder in that way. And it's not to me so much about actually about the way you look. It's an issue of, of being appropriate for the calling that you have. And one of the things that is really bothersome is that branding is all about creating a world in which everything revolves around you. That's how you create a brand. Now the problem, and this is a whole discussion (laughs) that I'm sure all of our youth pastors listening and youth workers probably know better than anybody, to be honest, young people are being raised in a world where every single individual, we used to just call it like, I'm just being myself. I'm living my life and I have friends and family. Young people don't live their life anymore. Young people have to build brands. And it's the reason that they go on to their social media pages and they create, it's almost like they create an avatar, right? It's almost like they create Mm -hmm. a version of themselves that only shows whatever side they want to show. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And in a certain way, in a certain way, it kind of makes sense. Like for instance, me and my wife, we fight sometimes because marriage is hard. But I don't go on my social media page and, and be like, <laughs> just argue with my wife. Sometimes she really takes me off <laughs> or vice versa. You don't do that. That's not who I want the world to see, right? And, and that makes sense in a certain way. What happens is that young people create avatars that are not real. And, and, and that's not just aesthetically, meaning that, you know, they touch up their photos, they make themselves look more beautiful than they actually are in real life. And, you know, you edit it, you, you change the colors to make yourself look like a rock star, you pose to make yourself look like a celebrity. Of course, that's aesthetically, but they also do it. Like I meet people all the time who I thought were going to be extremely clever. But when I meet them in real life, they're not clever at all. In, in fact, they don't have communication skills. They can't speak one to face to face. They cannot have a conversation with me, but I only knew them from social media. And I was under the impression that they were super <laughs> funny, super interesting, and always had a, a snappy comeback. Well, you meet them and you find out, oh, they don't know how to communicate to a real person. Well, that is what branding is like. The whole world is about me and my amazing life and what I have to sell. When you're cr- making music, you want to create a brand because you want to sell your art. But now when that goes into the pastor world, well, all of a sudden pastoring and being a, a Christian speaker or influencer, or whatever, all of a sudden 
the gospel kind of becomes about you and it becomes about what you want to say. So even if you as a pastor say something that is extremely controversial and and controversy is not always actually good in the church, right? Like, in Mm -hmm. other words, if we wanted to have a, if me and you wanted to have a big, (laughs) a big debate about theology, I don't even know what that'd be about. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or about whatever, you know, that's something that is really, you should work out within the eldership of, of, for instance, here's a great one that every pastor in America is going through right now. Uh, do we open up our churches or do we not? Do we mask or do we not mask, right? right, right. Do, we, do we allow people to sing? Do we have Lord's Supper? Do we not? Well, that's a really good thing to talk about within eldership, I would assume. Anyway, I'm not an elder. Um, but maybe the best thing to do as a pastor is not to go online and create such a controversy that really, I guess what I'm saying is this controversy online is going to build your brand, whether you're proud of what you have said or not. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Whether you're proud of what you do or not, it doesn't matter. It will build your brand because it, because controversy, any, any press is good press. That's the idea. That's why when a rock star gets arrested for doing cocaine and, and, and beating his wife, he actually becomes more famous. The more disgusting you are, the more famous you can be. Right? Well, if you, if you, I know I'm getting off on a tangent, but if you apply that to branding in the pastor world, you can see why you can get into some real danger. And so pastors, all of a sudden it becomes more about building an avatar of something rather than actually speaking truth to to people. Because if you really speak truth to people, you're probably going to become more unpopular. Yeah, no, no, that that's good. Uh, One of the things that, that uh, we've, we've kind of heard, argued in a way, uh, maybe argued isn't the right word to say, but you know, some people contend that, Hey, if, if you can build a larger platform, right, if you can have more followers, yeah. this gives you mm. more opportunity to, um, share the hope of Christ. Yes. So, true. so, so tell me a little bit, what, what are your thoughts on, on, you know, kind of that, that perspective? Well, sure. I mean, I think that's a great point. Again, I want to make sure that I come across humble. I mean, we're talking to church leaders here. I assume everybody listening to this it probably is well more wise than I, but this is my my personal opinion. I'm glad you brought that up mm-hmm. because I don't want to make it sound like I don't think pastors should be online or have YouTube, you know, of, of sermons and tweets. And I mean, I think some of those things personally I kind of think that's a good thing. I think we need to engage the culture because otherwise what happens is the only people engaging the culture, to be honest, are are Christian influencers saying things that I personally disagree with almost 95% of the time. What I'm trying to communicate is that what it seems like is the people building the biggest brands in Christianity are also the most unwilling to make a stand for truth. They seem to be unwilling to make a stand I mean, I know lots of different kind of people are listening here and, and all of a sudden I realize I'm not being very ecumenical when I say this, but for instance, it's very unpopular to make a stand um, uh, on abortion issues. It's a very unpopular thing to do. What can seem to end up happening is that it's very, oh, it's just very, it's so enticing to want to please the world. Hmm. That, that's what I'm trying to say. It's enticing to want to please the world and the internet is also very dis- dis- deceitful because pleasing the world 20 years ago meant yeah, not telling people um, we knew what it meant more clearly. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like 20 years ago, we're, not pleasing the world just meant I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage. I'm not going to uh, get drunk and I'm not going to do it. We kind of knew more what not pleasing the world meant. 
there is an entire social media culture of world pleasing that you can do without feeling that you have compromised. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you're saying something online, you know, like that you, you see a, a famous pastor go on program and I'm talking about abortion again. I, I might be offending some people. I don't, don't mean to, but let's just say this as a hypothetical, please. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, you're in this situation and somebody says, Hey, is abortion a sin? Well, if you believe in your heart that abortion is a sin, but you're unwilling to say it because you want to please everybody listening, that's the problem that I'm talking about. And and I think that, that can be a little dangerous. Right. Yeah. So so there's care that needs to be taken. This this goes back to um, whenever I asked you a question about how have have you in as a rock star over all these years <clears throat> Um, remain close to Jesus. And you talked a little bit about this accountability, right? You know, being in, in church structure and authority and accountability. And the same goes true, you know, whenever we look at, you know, being online, but, you know, putting, putting the word out, which you said, you know, it's a great, can be a great tool for the kingdom without a doubt, but you need to have that accountability to make sure that you're not getting so focused on you and your brand versus pointing people to truth and to hope and to Christ, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, to be honest, you said it a lot better than I did. I wish to, that I could erase everything I just said and, and just have you say that. <laughs> no, I, yes, I was just going exactly. off what you were saying, brother. I was just, <laughs> I was just trying to understand. That was good. That was good. No, you said it very well. Uh, that's exactly it. I actually do think it's very important that we are in the space. So I'm glad you kind of said that because it kind of made it sound. I could. What I said could make it sound like I'm saying, don't go online. And to tell you the truth, my eldership at my church, I'm encouraging, can one of you elders begin to go online? (laughs) Because we've got a whole church full of young people who live their life online. And if all you do is give them a teaching on Sunday, well, they have six other days that they are being influenced, to be honest, by negative voices and right. by voices that I think are kind of quite unbiblical, to be honest, you could be online to, in, in, in order to speak to a situation that arises rather than people going, Oh, a situation just arise. I really want to know what a godly man uh, or a godly leader thinks about that. And I have to wait for seven days until I can see my elders at church or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it'd be nice to have you guys speaking into culture. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, we, we, we touched a little bit um, there about truth. Um, John, you are an artist and musician. To tell us, how has holding to absolute truth helped your art? Mm. I think that making art and, you know, there's a lot to weigh in it. And I, I, and I won't lie to you and say that I've always done an awesome job of that. And I won't lie and say there aren't things I... Uh, if, if older, if John now could, uh, you know, <laughs> take a time machine backwards and say, hey, there's a better way to say that, or it, it matters more than you think, John. Mm. I think that the division between art and, and like being a pastor, I see a really clear difference. Some people, I think we're losing a little bit of that difference. And I wish I could go back and I probably would do some things differently, to be honest. But I think holding to absolute truth is so key in everything in Christianity. If you don't hold to absolute truth, then we we don't even, I mean, I hate to be like totally hyperbolic here, but it's true. We don't even know if God is real. You don't even know if you are real. You don't know if the sky, is the sky blue or green, or is that not even a sky? Maybe we're in the matrix. <laughs> we're all plugged into our pods right now. <laughs> and machines are telling me that, you know, that tastes like ice cream, right? 
Anyway, um, nothing in a world where nothing is real, you cannot build a foundation. And so, and, and I, that's why I wrote this book. So many young people, and when I say young, I really mean millennial generation and younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so many millennial generation grew up in a world with the internet where really they were so bombarded with so much information that, that they just didn't know what was true. And so they just, they found a way to say, well, maybe it's all kind of true or, or, or all could be true. Right. It's like mm-hmm. the book 1984, if anybody's read 1984, but the idea, one of the ideas in the book that's so genius was the, uh, two plus two equals five. And in the book, they weren't saying that you had to agree that two plus two equals five. You had to see the possibility that it could equal Mm. five. Well, that's a pretty dangerous thing. And that is more of a world of relativism, which is what I wrote about in the book. And, And for me as an artist, it would be so easy to go down the path of relativism because you're always away from the church and you're always, to be honest, you're always around relativistic voices and you're always around liberal voices. And frankly, it's very, uh, what's the right word? The water is very warm when you are constantly having atheists that you tour with, which I tour with a lot of atheists or Mm -hmm. agnostics constantly say, John, you're the only nice Christian I've ever met in my life. Hmm. That water is warm. If you know what I mean, Uh, John, I wish that all Christians were like you. You're a Christian that I can actually talk to. You're a Christian that actually gets it. Well, that water becomes very warm and it becomes very enticing to then give a little bit on truth because then all those atheist friends of yours are going to think you're even a nicer person. And it just gets to be very, that feeling of acceptance is really nice. I'm just going to be honest. And that is what our kids are going through every day at school because our kids are being raised in a different culture than um, everybody listening to this probably 20, 30 years ago. Even if you were an atheist, you were raised in America. If you're in America, I don't know what it's like outside of America. If you were in America, even as an atheist, you were raised with more of a Christian worldview than most Christians are today. Most of our young Christians do not have a Christian worldview, young people, because that is not the culture that we grow up in any longer. So that's why I wrote the book. That's why I think it's so important to, to keep just banging people over the head with objective truth of the word of God that never changes. Yeah. With this rise of, of postmodern truth and relativism, you know, one of the, the casualties of, of the war against absolute truth that we've been witnessing is people walking away from Christianity altogether. Mm. Uh, one of the things that you write, you say many who have walked away from Christianity altogether would rather be rewarded with perceived virtue from a relativistic world than receive the gift of righteousness from an absolutely holy God. Mm. How have you seen this personally playing out? Um, people you know, uh, experiences that you've had, how have you seen this playing out? Yeah, it's it's so brutal. And it, it's just been, um, I, I would imagine, again, um, this is a very unique podcast because everybody you know is in church work and whatnot. I imagine everybody listening to this hears that and says, yep, I've got a story like that, or I've got 10 stories like that. I'm no different. I have friends that I went to church with for a decade that I, I just, you know, I was young and naive. 
you know, they got saved and came in the church the same time that, that I began going there. We grew up in God together. And I just thought, oh, these are my people and we are going to die serving the Lord together. We're mm-hmm. going to die arm in arm or shield to shield like, you know, Roman times, you know, um, you know, like the film 300, you know, with all of our massive shields next to each other, uh, you know, at uh, the fiery darts of the enemy, as the Bible says, are coming at and we are shield to shield in battle and we're going to die that way and go into glory together. And it, it's just so heartbreaking that I'm like, oh, I guess I guess we're not, you know, unless God does a work and brings them back around. I guess we're not. I guess that that friend is going to fall into apostasy. I guess that friend is going to leave his wife and four kids for a new relationship. I guess this person is going to find out that, uh, you know, that they were homosexual at 30 after they were married with kids and just leave them, leave them. I, have a, I actually know someone who, again, we were in the church, one of our, wor- uh, was on the worship team and uh, they were married. It was a couple that was married and, and the, the wife ended up just leaving the church to marry another woman and ended up starting her own religion, just started a cult. Oh this my. is someone that I knew. I mean, this is someone that we, we worshiped God together, man. We took the Lord's supper together. And it's just heartbreaking, and it's on the it's on a, and it's on a bigger level. It's not just people I know; it's people that we all have seen on uh, um, uh, public pastors. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And they've come out, and not only have they come out in apostasy, they've a lot of them have come out and then uh, 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 started a war against Christianity. It's, I mean, not only they go apostate, they go, you know what? And now I would like to start dishonoring God in a public way on a public platform, and. I don't know that that's why I wrote that. I guess I just feel like we've all suffered through this. And to me, uh, much of it is to do with the fact that I just think that we had the benefit of growing up in America. We had the benefit of growing up in a place that was sort of Christianized, if you will, and was accepting of Christianity in general. And all of a sudden we began to change culture changed. Now we live in a culture that does not accept Christianity. And if you live the words of the Bible, if you go, hey, I think the Bible is literal and real, then you're going to be hated. You're going to be called a, uh, a whatever, a bigot or, or a racist or homophobic or whatever the, the list of words are, you're going to be called. Uh, all of a sudden it's like, well, well, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> that doesn't seem as, as nice as it used to. And maybe we're wrong. Because all of a sudden I'm meeting people who go, who actually believe that they are more virtuous than Jesus Christ. They're more Christian than Christ in their minds. That's why I wrote that is we have to get prepared for the idea that the world isn't going to like us. We just were blessed to live in a country where Christianity was sort of the norm and the Christian worldview was ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's good. Uh, John, a lot of musicians and artists, actors, professional athletes – they, they do one of, of two things oftentimes when it comes to controversial topics that culture may be, you know, wrestling with. They either um, just try to stay away from them altogether and stay in their own lane or they'll speak it out. Right. And, and they'll say something about it or they'll, they'll enter into that arena, um, bringing up some of these controversial topics. I'm curious, why have you decided to speak out recently about some of these you know cultural issues that we're facing? Mm. Yeah, you know, every once in a while, someone will accuse me of doing the controversy just so I get likes. 
<laughs> and sometimes I think, man, I, I wish these people were smarter <laughs> because <laughs> this sort of people love it when you speak out, unless you say this kind of stuff. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it, it is a bad way to be honest in terms of business. Okay. Um, I'm taking Jesus out of the picture if mm -hmm. that's possible for a moment in terms of business, it's a terrible way to build your brand. It, it just is um, because you are dividing people when in reality, what I really want to do is to be honest, I want everybody to buy my music. I want every single person in the world to listen to skillet today. Um, that would be awesome. But, but not only that, to be honest, what I wanted to do was just throw seed. I, I saw myself really as just kind of a herald of the great news of God, of Christ, right? A little bit of a, uh, of John the Baptist, if you will, you know, um, I just want to throw seed out there. And I think I, I don't, starting controversy wasn't the best way to do that in my mind. I just want to talk about how good Jesus is and the fact that Jesus loves sinners and that you actually matter. You have inherent value because you're created in the image of God and he wants to redeem you through Jesus Christ. That's what I really want to talk about. But all of a sudden, when I started losing friends, to, as I said a second ago, and I started finding out that people that I thought knew the gospel don't actually know, know Christ. They don't know the gospel and they don't even know why they don't know the gospel and their kids don't know the gospel. Christian musicians uh, that I've toured with, you know, I've sat with some of these people at, at lunch. We go on tour together and I assume we're on the same page and we're sitting there talking and I find out this Christian musician that I've been listening to for years I don't think they're actually born again. And, and they actually don't know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And when I say that and they look offended, there's a real problem. And mm. I just said, Lord, I think you're leading me. <laughs> stop <laughs> me. Stop me, Lord, if you're not. But I think you're leading me to say it's time to start speaking out about these issues. Yes, it's going to be dividing. Yes, it might mean that I can't go into certain venues that I used to go in. Maybe it costs me a great deal. I personally don't care what it costs me, but I, I want to throw that seed in a massive way. And this might actually broaden, uh, or excuse me, do the opposite. It might narrow my field of influence, but we have to do it. We're at a time when we are fighting, I believe, and this might not be the best theological way to say this, so... Uh, pastors, forgive me if it's not the right way to say that, but here in my heart instead of my uh, ignorant words. But I feel like we're fighting to keep people in the kingdom. And I don't mean that lie, you know, losing your salvation. I don't mean that. I'm talking about people that, uh, does that make sense to you? Am I saying that the right way? We are fighting yeah. to keep people from, from just losing themselves, falling into destruction. I don't know what that means, mm -hmm. but I feel it in my spirit and I see it all around me. And I think, it is time that people like me say, I don't care what it costs. I don't care about my brand. I don't care about any of that stuff because young people are so confused. We, we are at a life and death urgent situation that I believe that with all my heart, a life and death situation, families being decimated because they never knew the gospel that they claim to believe in. Yeah, that, that's good, John. You know, many times whenever a musician, a rock star, or maybe a professional athlete um, speaks up about, you know, a, a cultural issue, oftentimes they're kind of dismissed, you know, or people are like, 
um, hey, you know, stick to what you're supposed to be doing. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're right, you know what I mean? So, but anytime we speak out about a controversial issue, we get some pushback. That's just reality. But John, have you have you personally received any pushback along the lines of, hey, you're a rock star, just stick to making music and stay out of these cultural issues? I mean, I do know what you mean, and and I would be the very first. I've always tried to make it clear, <laughs> and when I talk about this stuff, I am all about the local church. And I am all about people, talk to your pastor, listen to your elders, don't listen to me, but maybe I can be an encouragement to you (laughs) to read your Bible. Uh, This is how I see the Bible, but talk to your leaders about this. I'm not a theologian, but I love the word of God. It has stayed me. It has been my foundation. Jesus has been a fortress for me and his word never changes. So I love the Bible. I love theology. I read theology all the time. I'm not the best at at expressing it, but certainly I would be the first to say, hey, I would love to see people in my position speak up more often. Mm -hmm. But when you get into the technical literature of some things, I do think there's a tendency for people in my position to act like we know more than we do because we have a platform. And I go, hey, at some point I go, that's that's a little technical for me. (laughs) Talk to your elder, man. But (laughs) yes, I have gotten... A little pushback, but I got to tell you this, much to my surprise, and it and this strengthened my faith, and maybe it can strengthen a lot of people's faith up there. When I first spoke out, I expected that people were going to be really mad at me, and I am telling you, I got so much support from pastors. In fact, just as we're speaking, um, there's, a, there's a theologian. Some people love him. Some people hate him. I love him. His name is Dr. James White. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. James White literally just left my house this morning. We just met today. We, we've had a great friendship for a year via phone or not a year, about eight months since COVID mm-hmm. via phone and Zoom. We've got a great relationship and never met. And we just met today. But um, I had theologians get a hold of my email. People that I've been listening to or reading their books for a year saying, we're so proud of you. Thank you for making your stand. Pastors, big pastors. And then small pastors that no one's ever heard of say, thank you so much for doing that. So I had an incredible response from people that I think they understand that I'm not trying to say I need to now be your, your pastor. They understood that I, I want to join in with what pastors are already doing, which is, hey, we're at war against ideologies that set themselves in opposition to the word of God. And that has really strengthened my faith. Yeah, that's good. You know, uh, the reason that that I ask is that it seems that many pastors get similar pushback if they speak out about cultural issues. Yes. You know, you know, oftentimes people are like, hey, hey, you know, stick to your church stuff. Right. Yet pastors and preachers have been instrumental across the decades in addressing some of the greatest injustices. You know, we think of the abolition of slavery, right? It was was pastors who were stepping up and speaking the civil rights movement, many others, right? So pastors were involved. What would you say to pastors who have spoken up about issues of injustice only to have people tell them, hey, just stick to preaching the gospel and stay out of these cultural issues? Yes. Oh, baby, we're getting into it today. (laughs) Come on, baby. Well... I do. All right. Whoa. There's a lot of buckets to fill a lot of different buckets. I'm going to do a lot of nuancing if I can again in humility I'm sharing my thoughts. Um, I agree with you 100%. I think that it is right for pastors to talk about culture issues. I think that's a really wonderful thing. 
I think that the Bible gives us a lot of information on what culture should be, what government should be, what the role of government actually is. And the way that I view scripture is that we have a lot in the old covenant to look at and say, oh, this is, this is how, this is how God sees a just society working. This could be really, this is really fantastic. And, and the, the, you know, the holiness of the law is a really great place to start. I think that there are a lot of culture things that I think we, we need to be talking about because the Bible already gives us that standard. Now, what I do think that we're in at the moment is a really unique time and, and, and I've, I study history quite a lot. I'm not saying I'm a genius at it, but I do study it and I really do like it. And so I would say that we're at a unique time when there is a lot of cultural ideologies, in my opinion, that sound a little bit like Christianity, but they really are not Christianity. And this is where I'm, I'm beginning to nuance the, the argument is I don't think they're as black and white as, say, civil rights. If, if it was 1960, I would be hoping that all of our preachers would be standing up and saying there are unjust laws here. And, mm-hmm. and that is against the way that God has created mankind. Every single person is made in his image. And we all come from Adam. Uh, I'm giving away my theology here. Some people not, might not agree with that sort of theology. We all come from Adam. We're all one race. So we need to go back to that, right? There's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no slave. There's no free. I would hope that people would do that. But we are in a unique time when ideologies sound kind of like Christianity, but I, I don't think that they actually are. And there is a lot of sociology involved in it. So I do think we're at a unique time where some pastors are speaking out about culture on side A, and some pastors are speaking out about culture on side B, and some people are on side C, which is that we don't need to get involved in any of that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I would say this in general, I do think we need to be speaking out about these things, but I do think we need some good faith discussions about what is extra biblical and I do think that a lot of the ideologies being pushed personally are actually extra biblical. And they, I believe that they will, they will bring more harm and more damage to the church, even though they might sound a little bit like biblical justice. I don't think they're actually uh, biblical justice personally, but I do think the good faith discussions are good for that. Me and one of my best friends in the whole world, he is a pastor, by the way, <laughs> disagree on exactly what we're talking about right now and we have to have these discussions and i'm going yeah but but buddy that's not biblical justice that's something coming from a different ideology and we're arguing about it all the time but i love him and he's he's one of my best friends one of the best men i've ever known yeah that's good and i think it's important i I love the fact that you got really personal right there at the end because i think that is so important john is that we understand how we can relate to others, you know, with the very root of who we are, the love of Christ, yeah. which is which is sincerely loving the other, you know, loving loving our friend, like you said, even yes. if we don't agree on everything, but we can have conversations. We can we can talk through those things. We don't have to say, okay, cancel, right? You know, the cancel culture we live <laughs> right. in. You know, like you you can say, see it to the, your, your your best friend, right? Um, yeah. But the two of you engage, you talk, you pray for one another, you love one another, 
you continue to do what we call the hard work of being a disciple, right? Uh, it's the hard work oh, yes. of working out our salvation, as, as Paul says. And I think that's so important. So thank you for, for sharing that. As, as we're wrapping up, John, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with pastors and ministry leaders who are listening in today? Well, I started with this and maybe I'll, in, I'll bookend with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. How much I, I just respect pastors so much. My father-in-law's a pastor, never made any money, had five kids, just loved God. Um, uh, did I say, wait, I'm sorry. I've been doing so many interviews. I did just say that that's my father-in-law, not just my pastor. Did I say yes, that? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a lot of interviews. Anyway. <laughs> and now I did not grow up in that church. So I met him when I started uh, dating my wife. So I started dating m- m- my, my wife. I came up here. I was you know 20 years old. And I got to know her dad and I just loved him right off the bat. But these people, man, I'm telling you, my, my wife is like, oh, since my dad um, got saved, since she said when he was, she was like three years old, when he got saved, became a pastor when she was five, right? She's basically like, we have had people living here on a, on a rotating door ever since I was five years old, because there would just be people coming to the house. Mm. Sometimes they, that my wife's like, yeah, I've never met them before, but they're staying over here. <laughs> people that needed uh, almost like a halfway house. They just came out of drug rehab. They don't know how to get on their feet. Go live with pastor Tim. Um, people that <laughs> needed to go into drug rehab, to be honest, what am I going to do? Come live with pastor Tim. People who were in, uh, who were in a, a, a wife with their kids that were in a, an abusive relationship with her husband, and Corey's like, so I moved in into the room with my two siblings and I gave my room to this mom with her three kids and they came and lived with us. These people are amazing to me and mm. they, they don't make money. They don't get love from the world. They don't get virtue po- points from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, no, they don't get anything except for treasure in heaven, which is beautiful. What a beautiful scripture that, that we have in the word of God. So I guess I just want to bookend it with saying how much I respect pastors and not to lose heart. It matters. And I see that in, in my father-in-law. He, he, they don't have a lot of money. They don't, they don't have, but, but they are so joyful because they have a, I mean, they have a line of dozens and dozens of hundreds of people whose lives are changed because Mm. of their faithfulness to Christ. So I want to say thank you to pastors for that. If I could end with one more thing, which is a a bit of a shameless plug for my book. But the reason is this, that a lot of young people, and again, I'm talking about millennial, even millennials, okay, millennials and down. They, because the culture they're raised in, they they don't have the uh, attention span to read a theology you know, a theology book. They don't have, they just don't have that kind of a brain. They can't sit with a John Piper book or whoever you like. Mm-hmm. And um, I've written this book. It's 120 pages. It takes three hours to read. And it, it I call it theology for dummies. Uh, my kids understand it. I have a 15 year old and an 18 year old. My kids can understand it. It's a great resource for young people to understand the times they live in of relativism and the reason that you cannot find truth in your own heart without God, uh, you know, trusting in your feelings, trusting in your emotions, trusting in your own logic, why you can't, uh, you can't find God and you can't find truth on that path. 
but it gives you the other path, which is found through authority of scripture, understanding your inherent nature, that you are not a good person without Christ, <laughs> that you do not deserve God's love. And it, it takes you through that and it ends with a gospel presentation. So if you have a kid or a youth group or what have you, um, that you like, I'd love for them to have an evangelistic book or a book on with, you know, th- those kinds of um orthodox theology this might be a good book to check out so if that's what you're into check it out it's called awake and alive to truth you can only get it on my website johnlcooper.com awesome brother and we will have a link to the book um to that website so those of you who are listening in want to go check that out we'll also have links to to skillet and to, and to your music so people can check Woo-hoo! that out as well awesome brother <laughs> man thank you so much john for being with us it's such a pleasure to to talk with you just to hear your heart man i i, I just want to say i really um appreciate your sense of humility that you are on a journey along with all the rest of us. Um, I, I love that because you don't always hear that, especially from rock stars. You know what I'm saying, brother? <laughs> so thank you for that. It's beautiful, well, beautiful to see time. Christ alive in your life. Thank you so much uh, for joining with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome, brother. God bless you. Hey, it was great chatting. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. We hope you are finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we would appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcasts at churchleaders.com or connect with me on Twitter. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app, available for both Apple and Android. So be sure to check out Faith Play. Until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.